Let us pray. Well, then, gracious Father, we thank and praise you for your word. Your word touches us in deep ways, speaks to us when we're all alone, and reminds us that we are never alone with you, for you are always with us. Lord, help us, as many of us feel so alone at this time, help us to know that you truly are with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Thursday evening, I had a chance to hear Tony Campolo speak at Concordia University. He did a wonderful job. It was so fun. I especially loved his introduction. He said this. He, here he is in front of all these Lutherans, and he said, You know, I knew immediately that I was among you Lutherans. He said, The reason is because I looked out and I saw all your pastors wearing their collar of gloom around them. In fact, at the end of the evening, one of the pastors got up with his collar on, he said, let us pray. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you for the joy of your good news. <laughs> he was serious, too. Help us to go forth with joy. Amen. I'll tell you, when he said he called it the color of gloom, I think I was the only pastor who laughed. Mind you, I wasn't wearing the collar either. <laughs> but we Lutherans, we're a funny bunch. We have our quirks. For instance, we don't like change. You've heard this many times. How many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Change! <laughs> we're also obsessed with good order and forms. You join a church, there's a form. You get baptized, there's another form. You move to a new church, we have a form for that. You think the DMV is bad? You should see all the forms that we have to send to the Pacifica Synod every year. It's amazing. We're responsible with all our forms for the cutting down of the rainforest. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> now, because we don't like change and we do like good order, you can begin to understand why we do what we do in the worship service. The Lord's Prayer is one example. How many of you have ever been to a church service and they haven't had the Lord's prayer in it, and you feel like it's not really a worship service without the Lord's Prayer. Even more, it has to have in the Lord's Prayer, it needs to be that form that says trespasses, right? The Presbyterians, they can have their debts. The Methodists can have their sins. But we Lutherans need our trespasses because we commit big sins and we need a big word. <laughs> You're laughing because it's true. <laughs> There's another phrase we commonly speak in the service, and that's the salutation. The Lord be with you. you. Right? We have to say it. <laughs> I am setting you up. I mean, even more, you, you watch uh, Star Wars, and they say the force be with you, and you want to respond and also with you. <laughs> it's just part of who we are. And that's a good thing, because it means it's deep within us. But because it's deep within us, sometimes we don't think about what we're actually saying. Have you ever thought about what we're saying when we say, the Lord be with you? What we're saying, we're saying something very important. We're reminding ourselves, every service, that where two or more are gathered, Christ is present. Where two or more pray, 
in His name. There God hears that prayer. And so when we say those words, the Lord be with you, we're saying you're not alone. God is with you. Oh, how all of us need to hear these words. All of us feel alone in this world at times. We go to the doctors. We have illnesses. We feel alone. We get a bill in the mail. We dare not share it with anyone, sometimes not even our spouses. We have addictions. We have work problems. And we hold on to them so close to us, so tight to us, that we end up isolating ourselves from everyone around us, even friends, family, and church members. All of us, at times, feel alone. That's why the salutation is so important. Because when I say the Lord be with you and you respond with also with you, I'm really saying you're not alone. God is with you. That's pure gospel. God is with you. He promises to be with you. He's here in this place with you, for you, on your side. In the, in the reading from Psalm 23, that famous psalm, we find David in a bad spot. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, what does that mean? What's the context for those words? We really don't know. Maybe he thought of them when he was about ready to face Goliath. Maybe it was when Saul was chasing after him, trying to kill him. Maybe it was when his own son Absalom was leading a civil war against David. We don't know what caused him to say these words. We don't know the context for them. We don't know... What was going on? But we know why, and that's simply he was in a bad spot. And yet what's so amazing about Psalm 23 is that in the midst of a valley of shadow of death, in the midst of, of real aloneness and struggle, David has hope. Listen to verse 4. You even know it. I mean, you know it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those fra that phrase, you are with me, thou art with me, that is the very center of that psalm. In fact, if you got out the Hebrew and you counted the words up to the phrase, thou art with me, you are with me, it's 26 words. Then if you count from the back, all the words up to thou art with me, 26 words. So this thou art with me is in the very middle, the very center of that entire psalm. Even more, 26 is an important number. Because if you add up the, the name Yahweh in the Hebrew, if you add up those numbers or the letters, they have a numerical value. It's 10, 5, 6, and 5. For you mathematicians out there, 26. Coincidence? No. When David is saying, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, what he's really saying is, I will fear no evil for Yahweh, for the Lord himself, the one who created heaven and earth, the one who made a covenant with his people, the one who has always sustained his people, that one, Yahweh, is with me. What a beautiful truth to hold on to. 
David has hope because he knows God's with him. In fact, in another psalm, Psalm 18, another one of my favorites, David says this, he says, For by you, O Lord, I can run upon a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. <laughs> That's really in there. I, I love that. By you, O God, I can leap over a wall. In other words, with God on my side, I can endure, and I can be victorious, and I can press on. That's what the Psalm 23 is saying. Except we know that already. In fact, way back then in John 10, when Jesus is speaking about the good shepherd, he's saying the same thing. He compares the good shepherd to the hirelings. He says the hirelings, those are the ones who have no vested interest in the sheep. They don't care about the sheep. When the trouble comes, oh, they take calls to other churches. They see a sheep as a means to an end, their end. The good shepherd, on the other hand, the good shepherd loves the sheep, never abandons the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and because I know them so intimately, and I lay down my life for the sheep. When I hear those words, I can't help but think of my daughter, Abigail. I think in many ways, she's a good shepherd, and I'll tell you why. When she was born, one of the members of the church gave her a little blanket with a little sheep on it, a little lamb. She loves this blanket. She loves... She loves her, all her stuffed animals and blankets, but she loves this little lamb more than anything. Well, Jamie and I, you know, I mean, she's a little kid, and she, and she still loves her lamb. But as all kids do, they, they get those blankets dirty. And so we wash it, and it's fine. But one day, Jamie and I, we, we wash it too close to bedtime. Big mistake. Parents, you know what this is like, right? I mean, she yelled and yelled and yelled till the thing went through the dryer. I mean, I took out all the clothes from the dryer and just said, hurry up, you know, with that one lamb going in there. <laughs> well, Jamie and I want to be smart parents, and we thought, hey, we can trick her. Let's buy another lamb, the exact same kind, the same color, the same lamb, so that when we're washing one, we can have, she can have the other one. That worked for about a week. Then she caught on. And what did this good shepherd do? She found out where we were putting the other lamb, took it out, and now she needs to have two lambs when she goes to bed. <laughs> Which makes sense then when Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not in this pen. I must bring them in also. <laughs> right? It's just not the same. The good shepherd knows his sheep, loves his sheep. Will never abandon his sheep. He's with his sheep. Lays down his life for the sheep. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Yahweh, the good shepherd, is with me. Good news. But doesn't it seem a little too good to be true? I mean, have you ever wondered if, if the Lord is truly with us, then why do we face so much adversity? Why do enemies surround us? 
Why do we have struggles and problems? Well, David answers that in verse 5. He says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Notice what David doesn't say. He doesn't say there'll be no enemies. He doesn't say there'll be no struggles, no difficulties. I mean, think of David. He's the king of Israel, the Lord's anointed. He had struggle his whole life. In fact, at the moment when he didn't have struggle, that's when he got in trouble with Bathsheba, and then he brought on more struggle. His whole life was filled with struggle. Then think of Jesus himself. Jesus had difficulties. People wanted to stone him. His family called him crazy. They eventually, Jesus got nailed on the cross. He's the son of God. He's without sin. He had difficulties. Can any of us really think that we won't? When our Lord and Savior, who is without sin, has struggle and difficulties and problems, then so too will we. All of us will. David isn't saying that we won't. Instead, what he's saying, though, is that in the midst of struggle, in the midst of our enemies, what does God do? He still prepares the table. Think of that imagery. Think of all the enemies looking around. Think of a sheep out in the field surrounded by wolves. And there the shepherd lays out a meal. And all those wolves are looking going, that looks like a good meal. But there the shepherd's behind him with his club, his rod, and his staff to say, look, you want to you come upon these, my sheep? You're going to have to go through me. That's what David's saying. In the presence of enemies, God is with us. There's a missionary, Kenneth Bailey, who tells a story about a time when he learned the, the meaning of these words. And he says this. It was 1964. He was in Egypt. And at, and, and at that time, it was, the, it was the, the late President Nasser was at the height of his power. Anti-Americanism was... was at an intense pitch. And there he had four German students come to his house and say, can we spend the night on your front, land, on your front yard with a tent? He said, that's not a problem, but I have to register you with the local police. And so he registered them with the local police. They stayed the night and left. Well, a few months later, the police came to his door and they said that he, what he did was illegal that he had to stand trial. And the trial for not registering these people properly was either a stiff fine up to eight years in prison. Now, because they're foreigners, I mean, these are just people staying in your front yard, but that's a whole other story. He said the people were so afraid of the police and the government at that time that his friends, and they were so afraid of him going on trial that no one would come over the house. No one would park the car in front of his house. He'd be walking on the street, and people who knew him walked on the other side of the street. His preaching engagements were canceled. The committees he served on 
He'd show up and no one would be there. He became a leper to that community. No one wanted to be around him. Well, three months later, his trial was set for a Monday. And as he, he prepared to travel to Luxor, which was three, miles, three, three hours away by train, there, before he left, a Presbyterian pastor came up to him and said, I'll, I'll go with you. And so traveled with him to Luxor. There, once he got there, another Presbyterian pastor was there and met him and said, you preach at my church on Sunday. And so he did. After the service, the two of them, two men, locked hands with this missionary, walked down the middle of the road, middle of the street, into the, the fair, into the marketplace, to a cafe, and had lunch with him. And Kent Bailey said, here I was eating lunch in the presence of my enemies. Well, the next day, he didn't want to get these pastors in trouble, and he said, don't go with me, I'll go to the trial by myself. And they said, no, you're our brother in the Lord. We are with you. And so they stood by his side for the trial where he was declared innocent. And there everything was fine. But Bailey said he always remembers those, that, that story and what happened in his life when he read Psalm 23. In the presence of my enemies, the Lord prepares a table. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Bailey learned that in the midst of persecution and struggle, which we all do have, in the midst of struggle, the Lord is with us. The Lord sends Christians by our side to stand with us and to endure. There's nothing better in this world than to have a Christian by your side in a time of struggle. In fact, that's what we're going to be celebrating in a few moments, that the Lord is with us in this meal. And we're going to line up side by side as God is present with us in this meal. And not just present with us, but present with the person next to you. God is with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for the Lord the good shepherd, Yahweh, is with us. But that's how it's always been. Remember Isaac way back in Genesis? He was alone. He was in the dark. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Or to Joseph, who was sold into slavery, into Egypt. There we read that the Lord was with Joseph. To Gideon, as he was afraid of the Philistines, hiding out, there an angel of the Lord came to him and, the Lord, and, he, and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Or when Jeremiah was called to be a prophet and said, I don't think I can do it. The Lord said, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. To Paul, who wanted to give up on one of his missionary journeys, the Lord said to him in a dream, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you. O Reformation, the Lord is with you 
In this meal, he's with you. With Christians next to you, he is with you. As we gather to pray, God is with you. He has never abandoned you. He will never forsake you. When the wolves come, he is no hireling that runs away. He stands his ground, club in hand, and says, come on, wolves. Come and get them. You're not going to touch them because they're my sheep, and I love them. In a moment, we're going to sing that wonderful hymn, Have No Fear, Little Flock. And that last verse, it says, Thankful hearts rise, raised to God, thankful hearts raised to God, for he stays close beside you, and all things works with you. Thankful hearts raised to God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Yahweh, the good shepherd, is with me. He is with you. Oh, nothing to fear. I want to end with this one last final thought. It's something we often overlook in Psalm 23. Most often as we're reading it, we, we do see, catch this idea that God is protecting it, God is with us. But we often don't think about the fact of what God's doing in this meal, in this psalm. As a good shepherd, he doesn't just take care of us, but he's the one who prepares the meal. He's the one who cooks the food. He's the one who takes the form of the servant in this meal. And this is important because most of us think that we're the ones who should bring a meal to the Lord. We're the ones who should present the sacrifice to the Lord. We're the ones who should appease the Lord. We're the ones who should lay down our lives for the Lord. But that's not how it works with the good shepherd. He's the one who does the work. He's the one who does the cooking. He's the one who dies on the cross, lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one who enters into the bread and wine. It's his work. It's his job. It's his duty. It's his joy. It's his love for you that he does all of this. God will never forsake you. God will never abandon you. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.